When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Dub Lab Creative Cultivation Salon is happening on Saturday, March 23rd. This rare fundraiser event will feature special guests, live performances, and carefully curated DJ sets in the inspiring and creatively stimulating offices of Cargo Collective in Frogtown. More information will be coming to the airwaves soon. Hello and welcome to In Conversation, a Dub Lab podcast where each week we will bring you interviews from the Dub Lab Radio Archives. All right, you're here on DubLab.com. My name is Elvin, aka DJ Nobody, and I am very pleased to have with me today our very esteemed guest, Margot Gurion. Say hello, Mar- Margot. Hello, hello. <laughs> Testing. <laughs> uh, for Dub Lab listeners, she's probably most famous for an album from 1968 called Take a Picture. Um, there's a song entitled Love that I remember playing a lot during my early days here on this station, and it's already going on 10 years, which is pretty insane. But I remember stum- yeah. stumbling up upon the reissue on Elephant Records uh, on, the, on the green vinyl, and that label mostly did modern music, so we were very... We we weren't sure if it was modern or old when we first heard it. When we, when we discovered that it was an old record, we were totally enamored with it. So it became a favorite here on this station for sure. That makes me happy. And um, from the from the reissue of that record, uh, a further reissue came about in 2006 called uh, 25 Demos that also featured some great songs. We listened to a bit of that today. And so what most people don't know is that Margot's got a whole other history uh, in the jazz scene as well as uh, in the illustration world. You actually did the logo for Impulse Records, is that correct? No, 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 I didn't. That's, you found that on Wikipedia, maybe? Yes, that was. I don't know who put it there or why it's there. I've tried to correct it, and I, I can't. I had nothing to do with the design of that logo. I did work for Creed as secretary. But Creed had sketched a design for, uh, he wanted uh, the name to be Pulse Records, but he ran into a conflict and very cleverly changed it to Impulse with the dot over the I and the exclamation point at the end. And then a designer came in and, uh, and did the work. I had zero to do with that. So good chance to clear that up. Good, good. I'm, I'm glad we're clearing it up for you. It's interesting Thank how that you. how that would be on this uh, on this website without a quote. Now that I'm looking at it. Thank you. I I have no idea who put that in. Hmm. Well, we'll have or to how track to them. Fix it. We'll have to track them down for you. Please. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and start with your early days. Uh, you know where you grew up and stuff, and 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 how music was part of your household uh, growing up and stuff. Um, I grew up in Far Rockaway, New York. And by the way, all all of the uh, jazz jazz stuff emanated from either New York or Boston, which uh. is where I went to school. But I'll go back when I was a child. Um, I started piano lessons at six, and then continued uh, begging my parents 
every 10 minutes, can I please quit? <laughs> because like every kid, I hated practicing. Uh, but they wouldn't let me quit. And um, so I wound up studying through high school, and I majored in music in college and uh, about a degree in composition. So that that's my piano music history. Okay. My my parents liked music, and I was exposed to classical. My father liked jazz. Um, I think my first record was a George Shearing record, East of the Sun. And um, I didn't really fall in love with it until I got to college. And then I went bonkers. I just, I just loved it. And I never listened to pop music during that era. Mm -hmm. I missed... Um, I miss everything, including the beginnings of the Beatles and Elvis Presley, wow. which I was clued into uh, a little bit later on. But in the jazz world, it was sort of verboten to listen to pop radio. Okay. And so in your jazz uh, days, uh, what, uh, what other artists were you working with during that time? Well, it wasn't really working with anyone. I was... Um, I, I went to the Lenox School of Jazz, which was an amazing three-week session that was run by John Lewis of the Modern Jazz Quartet and Gunther Schuller. And it was absolutely incredible because kids, like I was, uh, got the opportunity to go and hang out with people like Jim Hall, Max Roach, uh, Percy Heath, Milt Jackson. I, I could go on and on. These people were teachers. Wow, that's incredible. And it was, and they divided the school up into, the students up into groups that were uh, run by these teachers. And I was put into a group the first year that was headed by Max Roach, and in the group were uh, Ornette Coleman as a fellow student. Wow. Uh, Don Cherry, uh, Steve Kuhn on piano, um, Larry Ridley on bass. I mean, just wonderful musicians. And John Lewis came in and ran the group along with Max. And uh, uh, one of the tunes was called In Soon, which I wrote for the group and which they uh, recorded. Actually, Atlantic Records came up and recorded the uh, concert, wow. and that was one of the tunes on it. What year was that done? Um, 59. Wow, 59. <laughs> yep. So let's go ahead and take a listen to that. You actually gave us a copy of this wonderful little song, and um, describe it again. It was uh, recorded by... Uh, a student band of a song that you wrote for the band and eventually Atlantic picked up, picked it up and released it? Right. Um, also, the following year, I was put in a group uh, that was run by Milt Jackson. Oh, wow. And I wrote um, Edwin for that group. And as it happened, Milt was called away uh, because of a death in his family. And they had no famous people to give the group to. But since I had been there the year before and they knew me, they said, okay, you've got it. Well, you can imagine the, the, the three out of the four kids just went bonkers. Wow. They 
didn't come to Lennox to study with Margot Gurian. They wanted somebody famous. And uh, at any rate, they, they finally wound up giving a creditable performance. And the wonderful part of this story is that George Shultz, and brother of Edwin, Edwin was a little uh, a four-year-old. At the same time, uh, he had a baby who was maybe a year old, a year and a half, named George. George was in a stroller at the time. And um, George, grown up now, has just recorded. He's a superb musician. He's a drummer. And uh, he has a group um, called Circle Wide, I believe. And he's just recorded Edwin. And it's unbelievable. I, I wanted to send you the record, but George preferred that I wait until there was a final mix. Oh, okay. Wasn't but you'll be done. knocked out. I mean, he took it out of 3-4, and he, he just did all kinds of things with it. That it, I'm thrilled to death with uh, George's record. Great. And this, that but, was a song written around the same time as In Tune? Uh, it was written a year later. Okay. So let's go ahead and take a listen to In Tune, and we'll be right back here on dublab.com with Margot Gurion. Dublab.com with our guest Margot Gurion, and we are listening to some of her compositions. And was that your first composition to be uh, recorded and released? We know. Uh, when I was uh, still in school, um, someone had someone in that my family knew had sent me up to um, uh, actually Frank Lesser's publishing firm, and uh, a man named Eisman said, you know, I like your songs, but they're not commercial enough. Let me send you over to Atlantic. And he sent me to Atlantic Records. And I had a meeting uh, uh, with Jerry Wexler and Ahmed Erdogan. Wow. And you said it. I had no idea who anybody was. And they said, okay, let's have your demos. And I just looked at them and I said, what are demos? And they looked at each other, rolling their eyes, like, how did this one get in here? And um, they said, well, what did you expect to do for us? I said, I expected to play songs for you. And they said, okay. They took me to another room that had a piano in it. And I started playing songs one after another. And they said, keep going, keep going. And I kept going. And at the end of it, one of them reached into a desk drawer and pulled out a pile of contracts. And they said, um, we want you to go around the corner and uh, do what you just did for us, but do it for the engineer up there. So that's how I found out what a demo was. Wow, that's incredible. At any rate... Guess who the engineer was? The engineer was Tommy Dowd. Wow. Who turned into one of the 
hottest producers of, you know, the the following 10 or 20 years. I mean, just amazing, amazing people. And I did a record session for Atlantic, but it was a major disaster because in those days you had to sing with the musicians. And if you screwed up, uh, which I did, and I would stop and they'd say, don't stop, we'll stop you. I had no recording technique. I had never been near a studio. I didn't know what I was doing. And it did not turn out well, but they took one of the songs from that session, which is Moonride, and they had Chris Connor record it. So that was my very first record. And that was in 1958? 58, yeah. Great. We'll take a listen to that here on DubLab.com. The very first Margot Gurion composition to be recorded, it's called Moonride, originally recorded by Chris Connor. I built me a ship one foggy night And I waited until the time was right Then I checked the controls and got ready to sail And we're back here on DubLab.com Listening to Chris Connor and the song Moon Ride from 1958 Which is originally written by our guest here on DubLab, Margot Gurion And, um... From 1958 to 59, it's quite a stretch until your actual first album, Take a Picture. So what's the road to Take a Picture like after, uh, after the jazz scene? Well, I was mostly involved in jazz for, um, for quite a while after um, the Chris Connor record. Um, until one day, a friend of mine named Dave Frischberg, who is an amazing jazz pianist and a hell of a writer on his own, uh, called me up and he said he had something I had to hear. And I walked down to his village pad and he played God Only Knows for me. I fell in love with that song. I bought the record on the way home and I put it on and played it 20 or 30 or 40 times and turned it off and sat down and wrote Think of Rain. So Think of Rain was practically the first song um, I wrote in that genre, although I had begun uh, listening a little bit to pop music at that time and it seemed to me it had been getting much better so I was really ready for that uh, uh, that poke that Dave Frischberg gave me nice from there what was your was what was your next step musically uh, well what happened after that is I I went back to Creed Taylor and played him think of rain and he sent me over to April Blackwood, which was the publishing arm of Columbia Records. And uh, it was there that I met David Rosner, who became my husband and still is. Nice. Uh, and David uh, took the song and he said, you know, we're going to need an arrangement on that. He said, can you do it? And I said, I don't know. I had never written an arrangement before. And I said, I'll call you after the weekend and I'll tell you either to uh, book a studio or hire an arranger. 
and I worked over the weekend with a sound on sound, a web core sound on sound tape machine, and um, came up with the arrangement that actually what you hear on on 25 demos, and it's the basis for the record that's on Take a Picture because we could never really the feeling. So you said um, you could never replicate the feeling, so did you guys actually just transfer the demo tape onto big tape and record absolutely, over that? Absolutely. Exactly. Wow. We phony, we phony stereoed the uh, original demo. I put strings on it for Take a Picture, and it is as it was. Wow, incredible. Exactly. We should probably take a listen to that at this point, I believe. Okay. All right, so here's Think of Rain. I guess um, there was just one song after another. I had finally figured out how to uh, connect with a larger world. And and I loved it. I was having a great time. And ultimately, uh, David took the demos around. And as people heard the demos... uh, I began to get recordings, but everybody copied the demos, and that isn't what I wanted. I wanted somebody to do a fabulous record that would be a great hit. I didn't want to be a singer. Um, Oh, by the way, on Think of Rain, David figured out how to solve my recording problems, and that was by doubling my voice. Ah... And once that happened, everything fell into place. So David took the recordings around, and there were people at record companies that ultimately said, well, why don't we just record her? And uh, actually, the first recording of Think of Rain was by Bobby Sherman. Wow. Before you released your... That is? No, I've never heard of Bobby Sherman. Bobby Sherman was a big star and maybe the first in the kind of teeny, teeny bopper idols. There are a slew of them out there today. But Bobby Sherman was the first, and if you check it out on the web, you'll, you'll laugh. Bobby Sherman. Right. Anyway, um, and then... Uh, I guess Claudine Langer and Astrid Gilberto, who I actually played it for in Creed's office one day. She was up there when I was visiting. Wow. And Creed introduced us and said, play Think of Rain for her, and I did. And she says, oh, she liked my voice. And I thought it was a case of the pot calling the kettle black. Because I mean, I'm really in her bag. I love her. Oh, yeah, she's great. And uh, so people who 
who sounded like me or who I sounded like um, recorded the songs as Astrid and Claudine Langer. Jackie DeShannon did a terrific record of Think of Rain. Um, and I like it the best because it was different. The arranger came up with an original idea. She recorded it beautifully, and I'm... It wasn't a hit or anything like that, but I was very happy with that record. Great. J- Jackie anyway, DeShannon's version. Yes. And you actually did have a hit with Spanky and R Gang's version of Sunday Morning, correct? Right. Well, David had sent me up to um, to play some demos for Spanky. I knew Bobby Doro, who was producing... Bobby Doro and Stuart Sharp. They were producing Spanky at that time. And I went up to a rehearsal they had. And, um, and they loved uh, Think of Rain and Sunday Morning. And they said, well, why don't you save that? They couldn't make up their mind. And they said, well, if, why don't you save this for your record? And I said, hey, if you want to do it, please, <laughs> please do it. And so they did choose Sunday Morning. I never thought they would because they were coming off another Sunday song. Sundays will never be the same. Huh. So I I guess I lucked in with that. And um, um, so, yeah, that was really the only hit I ever had. Their version of that song. Right. Your version is is very amazing as well. I was actually happy to uh, find a 45 of that one day. Wow. A 45 of my version? Yep. Hmm. I got to get oh. you to sign it. Oh, oh, oh. The the one from Take a Picture. Yes, that version. Right. Well, if you um if you pick up on the 25 demos, you'll hear my demo for for all that everybody else heard. You'll hear the way I wrote it. Great, maybe we should take a listen to that right now, actually. It'd be a good time to do that. It's a little funkier than the other stuff. Right on. All right, well, let's check that out. This is Sunday Morning, as originally recorded by Margot Gurion. Made a hit by Spanky and our gang, but this is the original demo version, which can be found on the very fabulous 25 Demos recording. All right, check it out. Yes. Sunday morning. Sunshine and it's dublab.com taking a listen to Sunday morning as originally done by Marco Gurion. So post this, the Spanky and R Gang and uh, Take a Picture release, which both happened in 1968, right? Yes. Would you say was that was that kind of like the peak year for you in terms of uh, things happening for your career? Oh, absolutely. It's a great year. <laughs> And what uh, happened afterwards? What happened afterwards? Well, um, everything, once you hit the 70s, I guess, um, went south for me. But things changed so fast. The 70s were not like the 60s. And the 60s were just a wonderful, creative time, I, I think, for a lot of people. And the 70s changed, the music changed, um, 
I had not wanted to perform or tour. And when Larry Utah discussed that with me at Bell Records, I, I said, I don't want to do that. And so that that really sent the outputting into the 39 cent bin. Um, because they felt that if I wasn't going to support the record, that they weren't going to promote it or push it. Um, so, so things kind of went down almost as quickly as they had come up. And uh, I kept writing, but David and I were married in 70, and he was, um, at the time... One of the things that he, he was at April Blackwood and then he left to start his own business and then he left to go with Dick James. Dick James is a British publisher and among his former clients were the Beatles and his newest client was Elton John. Wow. So David went to England and came back with um, the Elton John record, the first one. And which I thought was absolutely gorgeous. And um, we came to California and met Elton and Nigel and Dee, his bass player and drummer, right off the plane from London. And that was an awful lot of fun also. So I can't claim that I wasn't having any fun. Um, and after after that, uh, David had a deal with Neil Diamond, who uh, David has known for many, many years, and he was his publisher. So David had, at one point, a business with Neil and Tom Catalano and wound up producing a couple of albums, which... I became part of. One was called Wool um, and has just been re-released, I think, um, with a young group from upstate New York and uh, they were a brother and sister named Claudia uh, and Ed Wool. And then another record, oh, we did one with Dave Frischberg where he had written, he calls it his rock and roll album which is hysterical, because it it's really not... It was released Sorry. under his name? Yes. And it's about to be released, I think, for the second time in Japan. Wow. So um, um, we did that with Dave Frischberg. And then a little bit later on, we did a terrific album with a guy whose name nobody knows, and it's it's heartbreaking to me. The guy's name is Van Dunson, D-U-N-S-O-M. He's a wonderful writer, pianist, singer, and um, I had an for doing a two-piano album with Van. Wow. And we did we did um, a two-piano album. David Wheatley was the second pianist and the arranger and it's an orchestral album it it was just a little bit after groups like super tramp and you know all these um highly orchestrated groups uh -huh. uh, 
and it, it went nowhere, but it's got some of the most beautiful music on it, and it rocks. What it's was the artist? artist? One more time. Van Dunson. Uh, I'll send you some of his tunes. Oh, yeah, sounds great. What year was that released in? That was, you know, I'm not sure. It was 70-something. 76, maybe? 78, no, probably more towards 78, 79. Okay. And how about the, uh, David, is his name Friedberg? Fishberg. Fishberg. What what year was that record? That was more like, let me think, mid mid to late 60s, probably. Oh, okay. That was earlier. Okay. All right, great. So we've covered all the... I'll send you these dates, Elvin. Oh, yeah, that's fine. If you can send me some of the tunes, maybe that would be cool. We can incorporate that into the interview somehow. The Frischberg? Uh, Either either one of them. I'll send you one of both. Okay. No, I'm going to send you a couple of band songs. Because Frischbergs are out there. uh, Have you ever heard My Attorney Bernie? No. We didn't record that, but that's... Have you ever heard Van Lingle Mungo? No, I haven't. <laughs> that was the name of an old baseball player, a real name. And Dave wrote a song um, using only the names of baseball players in, in uh, maybe the late 30s and early 40s. Oh, that's and awesome. It, it is. It's an amazing song. I'll send you a copy of that. Oh, yeah, for, I'd love to hear that. For your personal use. Of course. All right, so I yeah. think we're all caught up interview-wise um, until after uh, take a picture. Do you want to talk about what you're doing today? Sure, I'm teaching. Great. What do you teach? I teach piano. Uh, what city do you teach in? In Los Angeles. Nice. Um, um, oh, and I wrote Chopsticks. Uh, those variations for um, for my kids because what I found out in teaching is that children love to play things that they're familiar with and there's a piece that Mozart wrote which were variations on Twinkle Twinkle Little Star hmm. but they get too hard too fast can't really play all of them. They can play the theme and then they sort of drift off. Yeah. And I, I just thought, what could I write that every kid would know? And I thought, aha, top six. Oh, yeah. So I sat down and I wrote, um, I didn't have this intention, but they all came out differently. Like um, the one called Ragtime has sort of a ragtime feel and chopsticks in the left hand. And the one called Inventionette is written the way you would write a little Bach invention. Mm-hmm. And um, there are some that um, are kind of Debussy-sounding or... Um, oh, and there's a very far-out one. Everybody hates it. And there's one called Rhymes, which is made up of nursery rhymes in one hand and chopsticks in the other wow. in two different keys. <laughs> that must be and really hard to play. Kids love it. If you know chopsticks, you only have to learn one hand. Ah, I see. So they love it, and they know the nursery rhymes. But the parents can't stand it. It drives them crazy because <laughs> it's very dissonant. Yeah. 
at any rate, it, it was a lot of fun doing that. you got to send me that one just for my personal use, too. Okay. The dissonant one. Okay, that's called Rhymes. Okay, but we're going to listen to Ragtime and Interventionette. Those are the two that you sent me today. Inventionette. Inventionette. Why did I say Interventionette? <laughs> well, there's so much intervention going on today. <laughs> All right, it's uh, like a Bach invention. Are you a musician? I am. I play a little bit of guitar. I figured guitar, because guitarists are not going to know um, Bach inventions. Those are piano pieces. Yeah. Although uh, there are some, I've heard, wonderful Bach transcriptions for guitar. And that'll break your mind a little bit. I'm sure it'll probably take me months to figure out. Yeah, yeah figure out three measures. <laughs> <laughs> right on. So we'll take a listen to those two pieces composed by you for your students here is ragtime and inventionette here on dublab.com with margot gurion so here we are on dublab.com about to close out our special interview with margot gurion um, who is still active in music today, correct, Margo? Yes, um, not as active, but when I get a good idea, I can't let it go. Great, and uh, you actually sent me a newer piece that you had done. Um, you want to take a, talk a little bit about that? Yes, well, that song is um, it's from 2003, and it uses George Bush's State of the Union address. Uh verbatim, 16 words, and they were those famous 16 words in which he said that uh, the British government has learned that Saddam Hussein uh, recently, I forget exactly, but that he had acquired um, WMD, and it was a lie. And I took those 16 words, and I wrote music to it, and then we... Um, we signed a guy who's very talented to do the video, which I just love. I think it's funny and clever and that it's a perfect use for the music. So that's sort of the last pop thing that I've done. Awesome. And uh, in the meantime, I'm still teaching. Um, little ones and a couple of big ones. (laughs) (laughs) Um, my mom. And that's that's about it, Elvin. I'm, you know. Great. Well, it was good to talk to, to you and uh, find out more about your your musical career besides take a picture, because, like you said, it seems to be like the focus of most of the stuff uh, that that is written or or heard from you. That's right. People seem to think I rose from the ether and did take a picture and then went back into it. disappeared, <laughs> disappeared right. in the cloud. Right. But, um, and also you I, got to I, clear up the Impulse logo thing, too. That's a big one. Oh, thank you for doing that. I'm so glad you brought that up. No problem. Because I'm taking credit for something that somebody else did, and I don't like that. So thank you for asking me that. No problem. Thanks for, uh, thanks for talking with us today, and thanks for, uh, for all your great and wonderful music you've blessed us with for, uh, for many decades. Oh, thank you, Elvin. It's it's just been really nice talking to you, and I I love your website. 
Oh, it's fun, right? Yes. A lot of fun. Everybody should go there. <laughs> Dublab. Dublab.com. Dublab.com. All right. Thanks, Margot. We'll talk soon. Okay, Elvin. Thank you. In Conversation was produced by Dublab, a nonprofit radio station broadcasting live from Los Angeles since 1999. Sound editing and theme song by Matea Bain. For more programming, visit dublab.com. And thank you for listening.